This podcast is based on the premise that with the right tools, insights, and support, we can create meaningful, lasting changes in our habits, improve our health, and to a certain extent, take control of our lives. And the podcast Tiny Leaps, Big Changes by Greg Clunas is based pretty much on the same premise. But today, Greg and I are exploring the uncomfortable possibility that this premise may be hugely flawed. All right. All right, everyone, take your seats or lace up your sneaks. We're about to get started. Welcome to the Change Academy podcast. I'm your host, Monica Reinagel. And in this show, we talk about what it takes to create healthier mindsets and habits in our own lives, as well as how we can create healthier communities and workplaces. Whether you're working on your own health and well-being or promoting healthy behaviors is your job, we're going to talk about what works, what's hard, what's needed, and what's next. Let's jump in. Okay, I've been fangirling Greg Clunas since I discovered his podcast, Tiny Leaps, Big Changes, a couple of years ago. A mutual connection of ours, Marion Abrams, led me to Greg, and you know, all podcasters are basically only separated by about three degrees of separation, so it was only a matter of time. But I think you will immediately understand why I felt such an affinity for Greg's work. In the Tiny Leaps, Big Changes podcast, Greg shares practical advice for personal development, just like we do here in the Change Academy. And Greg is also the author of a book by the same name, Tiny Leaps, Big Changes, where he dives deeper into the process of behavior change and shares specific strategies that you can apply. Outside of the podcast, Greg is an artist, a storyteller, a product creator, who really leans on his diverse set of skills, software engineering, writing, music, marketing, to identify and solve both commercial and non-commercial problems. Well, in this conversation, we talk about the intersections of personal development and our social, cultural, and even political contexts. These are forces that we ignore or minimize at our peril. In fact, Greg even talks about getting to a bit of a breaking point earlier this year where he considered whether he even wanted to continue talking about self-improvement and personal development. And fortunately, he's found a way to stay in the conversation because I think he brings a really important perspective. So what are the limits of our personal agency? What are the forces that lead us to believe that creating healthy, safe, and secure lives and environments is primarily up to us? How do we reconcile our personal work with the need to create better systems and healthier and more equitable societies? These are some of the things that we get into. So take a listen, see what comes up for you. Greg Clunas, welcome to the Change Academy. Thank you so much for having me. This conversation has been a long time coming. We've been working on this, well, really, since I discovered your podcast a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think this is the longest time that it's taken to actually make a podcast appearance happen. I feel like we must have like a Guinness Book record or something <laughs> like that here. Well, a number of things kind of got in the way, but the stars aligned, mm -hmm. and um, and I've been looking forward to this conversation. And I remember when I did first discover your podcast, thinking, wow, you know, in this crowded field of personal development and self-improvement, I just felt like you were talking about things that other people 
weren't talking about. So it wasn't just about hyping everybody up to live their best life or, you know, how to create a killer morning routine or, you know, the usual sort of aspirational stuff. I appreciated that you were also talking about the ways in which we get tripped up, you know, in part by the ways that Mm. other people like us talk about and teach this stuff. So I'm curious how you position yourself or your work contribution in this field. I mean, do you see yourself as a contrarian or a cultural Mm. critic? Yeah. So this has been uh, something I've struggled with basically since the start. So for some context, I started the podcast uh, about seven and a half years ago now. And the whole point was to be contrarian to the sort of standard narrative of personal development. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt that I'd, I'd been consuming personal development since I was 13. Um, and I had started to notice that, especially with the rise of, of social media and being a content creator, there was even more emphasis than before on saying things that sounded really like cute and quotable and easily shareable, but didn't really have any grounding in what people could actually do what is actually practical what is what is um the the real roadblocks you're going to run into mm-hmm. and i i noticed this and so i wanted to start something that focused almost exclusively on the practical side and and exclusively on what is something you can do right now and then back that up with additional messaging that said hey this thing that you can start today Truthfully, it's probably not going to have any value for 10 years. Like <laughs> you might not see anything come from this for the next 10 years. And you need to approach it with that already being accepted. Otherwise, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. You know, it's hard to sugarcoat that message. And you can see how that is not the dominant narrative because we want a quick payoff. And that's what we're promised. I mean, I've published a couple of books and the biggest struggle is always the title because the publishers always want something like how to earn a hundred thousand dollars in 60 days, you know, selling real estate or whatever. That's not my topic, but you know, they always want these really big promises in very short, finite periods of time. So that is what seems to drive a lot of consumer culture Mm -hmm. and it is not realistic but that's a little hard to sell that message. It's going to make it kind of unpopular, don't you think? It is. And I would say that that's probably the biggest shock value when somebody first discovers my show. Because <laughs> even my, my podcast name, Tiny Leaps, Big Changes, if you approach it from a certain point of view, you hear it as, here are these small things I can do that are going to have massive effects in my life tomorrow. Like that's where you're coming to the show from. And and that's why I try to almost in every episode at this point drive home in some way. This is this is not happening anytime soon. What I've found though, and and this I think was just really fortunate timing on my part, I wasn't the only one who started to realize how not practical the the standard advice was. Mm-hmm. I think that I happened to stumble into a moment where uh, people were starting to realize like, hey, I've been trying these things. It's not working for me. And the other issue that happens in, in this industry is when something doesn't work, instead of reevaluating 
the, the process or the advice, we pass blame onto the individual. We say it didn't work because you didn't try hard enough or because you didn't believe it would work or because of any other number of reasons that ultimately fall to something you can personally change. It never goes back to, well, it doesn't work because this particular thing doesn't work for this particular person in the context of their life. Or just for structural reasons. Or for structural reasons, which is something I've been uh, talking about a lot more recently on my, uh, my show. Yeah, I want to talk about that too. But one of the other things that I've noticed when we try something and it doesn't work, to the extent that we can kind of muster our energy to try something else, which is a good impulse, right? Mm-hmm. So often though, we just try a different flavor of the same wrong approach over and over and over again. And what's missing, I think, there is a little bit of the analysis that would allow us to realize it's not the application of this approach. It's the approach mm-hmm. is is not designed to deliver the kind of results that it's promising. Yeah. And I want to add a caveat here. It might work for some people. Sure. So this is something I started to to hit on my show maybe two years ago when it finally sort of clicked in place for me was it's not so much very often. There's plenty of uh, situations where you know the, they're just straight up lying about what this <laughs> is going to do. But very often, it's not about lying. It's this actually worked for that person, and maybe it worked for a group of other people. But what we forget is that each individual person's life and the context within which they're approaching that is different. And that has a much bigger effect than I think we're willing to admit on what our options are and what we're actually capable of following through with. The classic example I give a lot is if somebody is trying to eat healthier, they, they want to take in more green foods. That's a, a really good thing to work towards. And there's a lot of different approaches that people present to make that more feasible. But nothing is going to work if that person happens to live in a food desert where they need to drive to the next town over in order to get anything fresh. That context matters before we get into the step of like prescribing what they should do. You bet. You bet. And in fact, the episode of your podcast that originally made me think, I got to get this guy on the podcast, was one titled sort of cheekily, Personal Development is Bullshit. (laughs) I don't know if you remember that particular episode, because I know it's been a running theme, but and of course, great title. But you were talking about what you just mentioned that, you know, we can have all all of the best intentions and do a lot of really great work, but there's a limit to what we can accomplish on our own. So we can try to develop healthy habits, but that's not going to fix systemic issues with access to healthcare, for example, Mm -hmm. or access to healthy foods. It reminds me a little bit of, you know, everybody buying LED light bulbs will never have as big an impact on policy level moves to combat mm. the effects of climate change. And we can get really lost in the weeds of individual change and choice and action because it's the one place where we feel like we actually exercise some agency. Yeah. But the risk there is that we're not looking at the very struck, you know, the very real and impactful structural issues that need to be addressed at that policy level. Do you think that the reason that we're reluctant to do that is because we feel uh, pessimistic about our ability to affect 
change on that level? I think yes. And I think people in general, at, at least speaking purely for the, the US, I think it's much harder for us to see how change happens on a cultural and, and political and societal level and how uh, banding together can have an effect on on change. I think mm-hmm. it's much harder for us to picture that, partially because that doesn't really happen that often anymore. I mean, not to, to get too into the weeds, but unions, union membership is way down compared to previous generations. And that's not for lack of need. The need is there. It's just no longer a part of the culture in the same way that it used to be. And as a result, or at least in part, uh, the the ability for individual workers to pay for basic needs and and support themselves and have security in their their job is drastically diminished compared to to those uh, previous generations. And so I think there is partially a, a sense of pessimism about what we can actually accomplish. But I think a big part of where that pessimism comes from is we don't really have very many models mm. of what collective action looks like and what it could do. Right now, sure, in the in the current moment. And this has been one of the things that I've found kind of infuriating about the lifestyle medicine movement, the food is medicine movement, which is being promoted, you know, as a way for us to take control of our health. And I feel like it well, first of all, it assumes that we all have the same access and the ability to make those healthy choices, which mm-hmm. we don't, as we mentioned. But I think it also sets up an unintended consequence, which is when people do succumb to some sort of health challenge, they may feel like it's their fault. They weren't living right. They weren't making good enough choices. Even if they don't jump to that conclusion, they might be afraid that others around them will. If you're suffering from something that we have categorized as a lifestyle disease, and I'm including things like overweight and obesity or type 2 diabetes, if we're going to call those lifestyle diseases, then the implication is if you got one of those, then you failed on mm-hmm. the lifestyle level. And you know that's that's kind of your fault, and that's not helpful for someone who is now dealing with a health challenge to also be dealing with that kind of judgment, whether it's inflicted, self-inflicted, or inflicted by others around them. It, yeah, it's not helpful to that individual, and it's also not helpful to uh, preventing those outcomes from occurring in the future. Well, sure. On a, an individual level, we seem significantly less willing to hold governments responsible for protecting its citizens than other countries. And that leads to a lot of these outcomes occurring. But then when they do, we blame the individual. Yeah. And, you know, we do have that rugged individual ethic here in the United States to a more exaggerated degree than I've observed in other cultures and other countries. You know, we're we're all doing doing it on our own and bootstraps and all of that. And I, I have to wonder whether this is kind of an, a convenient outgrowth of the fact that we do such a poor job of taking care of our citizens. You are on your own. And, you know, so we glorify that maybe. Mm, I could absolutely see that. I'm going to, to be honest. I almost quit my podcast earlier this year. I took yeah. like three months off. I wanted to ask you about that. I've been unhappy with the show for about the last two years. And the big reason for that was I felt the 
industry of personal development is very much reinforcing this same individualized focus on your actions, your consequences. Mm -hmm. And as much as I try in my show to and have tried to focus on, okay, let's shift and shift that that viewpoint. Let's be more empathetic towards ourselves. Let's recognize there's things we can't control, so on and so forth. By contributing to the larger industry and continuing to drive the narrative that you can change your life all on your own, I just felt horrible about it. Hmm. Um, so there was just this sense of like, I'm not really solving the problem. And in fact, I'm potentially, maybe I'm helping some individual people, but I'm potentially furthering the, the problem. What actually has started to help me feel as though I'm doing something worthwhile is I'm still covering many of the same topics. I'm still talking about productivity and so on and so forth, but I'm much more open about my personal political views and, and the role that I think politics plays in our personal development. One of the big things that made me made this sort of click for me uh, was last year when uh, Roe v. Wade was um, was repealed because it was this clear moment in my mind where you can tell somebody for their entire life that, hey, you have control over your life. You should plan for what you want. You should create these goals, work really hard towards it, so on and so forth. But then in this one moment, you took away that person's ability to actually plan for their life and choose when they want something to happen. That to me felt like well, if you're not advocating against that for for any number of reasons, then you can't actually be serious about personal development. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a, a controversial take. I'm, I know there's many reasons why people are for and against abortion, but that just is sort of what clicked for me and became in many ways going forward with my show. I have to advocate for these political changes that I think ultimately lead to better outcomes for people. Otherwise, why am I doing any of this? Sure. I mean, that can't just be the unspoken problem. You know, we have to acknowledge what's going on. And I can see recommitting or committing maybe for the first time to being upfront and vocal about that could have felt like it gave your work on the podcast, new, new energy, and maybe allowed you to return to it. You know, I, colleagues that I work with both sort of in the corporate wellness sector, as well as uh, in the private sector, you know, working with individuals as you and I are more likely to do, everybody seems to be describing, well, burnout for sure. Um, And I know that you identified what you went through earlier this year as, you know, severe burnout. And it's real. It's not just a a acute term. It's a a medical (laughs) reality. But also on top of that, almost a backlash against self-care and self-improvement. You know, like people are like one of the flavor, one of the uh, ways in which that burnout manifests is people are just too burned out to work on themselves or work on their lives. Maybe we're just sick of trying to optimize everything of trying to be the best version of ourselves. How does that mesh with what you're describing? That's something I've I've personally experienced as well. I I talk about with my fiance quite often. So she's, she's uh, pursuing a PhD right now. She's uh, pursuing it in English and uh, has been reading all of these different, just like 
very like radical sort of like view per, uh, perspectives on on different topics as it relates to teaching in the classroom. Uh, so we have these wonderful conversations that all sort of lean anti-capitalist, and and this topic comes up so much because when we talk about improving ourselves, when we talk about optimizing and and doing all of these things to be more productive. There is the unspoken piece of that mm -hmm. of being productive for what? For whom? Yeah. For whom? Why are we trying to do that? Most often, and really, I, I don't believe you can actually pursue these things without this being the case. But it's in some way to serve a capitalist system, and that that is very real. Whether we want to to sit down and admit it or name it as anti-capitalist or whatever it is, that that's a real part of it. So while I'm no, I'm not against the practice. I do think it starts in many ways with we really need to be asking ourselves, well, why are we even trying to pursue this? Right. Absolutely. But I think there is another um, angle on optimization and self-improvement self that really where the spoken or unspoken promise is not that we're trying to make ourselves more productive, but that we're trying to make ourselves happier. Mm. or healthier, that we're trying to improve the our quality of life. Do you see that any differently? I think it can be. I, I think it's it's sort of layers. I think really any work that you do on yourself could be viewed as being like trying to make yourself happier, trying to make yourself healthier. For example, uh, I do care personally a lot about being productive because I have seven trillion projects that I want to do, <laughs> and none of them are driven by, hey, if I do this, I'm going to make more money. It's I'm really curious about this thing, so I want to pursue it. So it's a necessity that you are able to organize. And, it, it's, yeah. an, it's a necessity for me and, and my own sort of mental health and mental well-being. Sure. Um, however, the higher level beyond that is it ultimately will serve a sort of capitalist intent. And I think in many ways, making yourself healthier, that is significantly uh, more focused on you and your needs and ensuring that you live a, a higher quality of life. But there is this other sort of level that that exists as well, that we don't always have to acknowledge. I think I may be a, sometimes a bit more pessimistic than I recommend others uh, uh, do. But I do think it's it's foolish to to not recognize that it's kind of always there because of the system that we exist in. I think that's fair. And even when we are trying to optimize our happiness, let's say our relationships, right? Our physical mm -hmm. health, the you know, the content of our minds, it often does though when we are living our best lives play out in various forms of consumption which yeah. do then support that system you know even if it's one or two degrees removed and i think that's just an interesting and important insight to consider uh maybe on the layer where we're looking at our motivation you know not just what am i trying to accomplish but why why is this important to me what will this make possible sometimes we absorb these goals and aspirations from the culture without a lot of interrogation about what makes that meaningful and desirable it just seems self-evident right yeah yeah which is a great clue that something needs to be investigated a little bit more closely exactly i think that's the the key that this comes down to is we often just kind of assume why something is there why we're pursuing something why it's important so on and so forth 
And I find, and this has been the case in personal development. This was the case when I was doing podcast consulting. This is the case when I'm doing marketing work. Um, most people don't take that next step of reevaluating. Well, why are we actually doing this mm -hmm. in this particular way? And that I think is where the majority of like the gold can be found. Absolutely. You mentioned your 7 trillion projects. And <laughs> another thing that I think you and I might have in common is a drive to not just be talking heads, right? But mm. to actually create solutions, whether that's podcasts or communities or apps or various programs. You and I have both done all of those things. Um, we both seem to be interested in creating new ways to address whatever problems or, or, or gaps that we observe. So I'd love for you to tell us what you're working on right now in that line. It's it's so interesting. The older that I get, um, so for context, I'm 31 now, uh, the more so I'm old. able to... <laughs> it, it, borderline ancient. Fun fact, I actually just learned that I'm a grand uncle, so I do actually feel much oh older yeah. than, than I am. But um, the older that I get, the more that I'm learning about myself and who I am and what it is that actually drives me. And for many years, I kept thinking like, oh, I needed to categorize this in some way, or it needed to be this like sort of highfalutin term and or title or whatever it is. And I've learned more recently that really like, I just, the purpose of my life is I just want to make something cool like that. That's hmm. it's, it's a very casual way of saying it, but that's the best descriptor that I've landed on. And, and to that point, I, I am currently working on too many things. One of which I just recently launched the mobile app for the podcast that is exclusively for community of listeners. You can listen to the app, the, the podcast there, but it also connects you with a, a community of other people that sort of have these similar perspectives on how personal development needs to be in order to make it work for themselves. Um, one of the things we're going to be doing with that are these sort of monthly events that are, are sort of guided challenges. Think like a, a course mixed with a challenge mixed with a support group. So that's something I'm, I'm really excited about moving forward on. I'm also working on a startup idea that involves AI that, that I won't get too deep into yet um, and supporting some friends projects. Uh, they run a content agency and I'm supporting them as creative director. Uh, so there's, there's a number of different things that are sort of scratching that make cool stuff itch for me at the moment. That's funny. I Maybe I projected onto you um, because when you say make cool stuff, and that's certainly from where I sit, what you've been doing the whole time, I saw embedded in the kinds of projects that you seem to be attracted to that sort of itch to solve a problem. Did I, did I just project my own problem solving drive onto you? No, I don't think so. I think, so it's interesting. There's a lot of cool things I want to make that don't solve anybody's problem. Okay. Um, like I've had this goal to learn how to build a robot from scratch for the past five years. Um, but I tend to end up not pursuing those simply because I can't going back to the the capitalism question, I can't find a commercial purpose for it. And so it feels like, ah, eh, maybe I should do this other thing that that has commercial value instead. Hmm. But to your point, um, everything I'm currently doing definitely focuses on solving problems. There's a lot that I want to do that 
is absolutely useless, but fun. <laughs> hey, I think solving problems is fun and cool, sure. um, especially if we can think of creative ways to do it. You know, I think there can be a lot of creativity in that in that process. And part of the creativity for me is getting a better grip on what the actual problem is. You know, when we jump right to engineering a solution, we can waste a lot of energy and create solutions that, you know, I'm going to put air quotes around them. They work, but we're not solving the problem that we set out to solve because we didn't really understand that problem. And that's definitely a recurring theme here on the, on the podcast, but yeah, that's fun for me too. And I think that's uh, one of the reasons that we've been working so hard for the last two years to make this conversation happen. So I'm so glad that it did. Yeah. And I will say just to add on to that, the better identifying the problem piece, I think has been my my weak point for most of my life. Hmm. So one of the things that I recently did that's been helping me sort of improve on that. So I I took a full-time job uh, last October, started as a software engineer there, but I'm now moving into a product management role and really just spending as much time as possible on that. Let's clearly define what this is before we start building something cool piece. because there have been so many things where I just want to build the cool thing. And I jump basically immediately into that. I'll write out a sentence of, yeah, this is what we're doing. Cool. Let's let's get to it. Um, never ends well. So completely, <laughs> completely second your point of like, let's let's spend a little bit more time on this first piece. Well, I appreciate this conversation so much. I'm eager to share it with our audience. I hope you will become a friend of the podcast. This won't be the last conversation that we have here. Oh, I would love to come back on. You are a fantastic interviewer. It was my pleasure. Okay, then we'll talk again soon. Okay, so now I really want to hear from you. Did this conversation change anything about how you view your own self-improvement projects? Do you feel supported by the social and political institutions that surround you? Or are those institutions actually erecting barriers to your progress? What do you think we owe each other as we strive to improve our own lives? If you're so inclined, you can drop me an email or send me a voicemail and let me know what you're thinking. You can email us at hello at changeacademypodcast.com or record us a voice message at changeacademypodcast.com slash voicemail. Or you know what? You might share this episode with a friend as a way of starting a conversation. Also, be sure to check out Greg's Tiny Leaps Big Changes podcast and stay tuned for more because Greg and I have been talking about some joint projects that I'm really excited to pursue and we'll share those with you when they are ripe. In the meantime, if you're enjoying this podcast and maybe you just like a way to say thanks or say hi, just for fun, we've added a buy me a coffee link at the bottom of the show notes. Brock and I both love coffee. All right. Thanks, everyone. This has been the Change Academy podcast with Monica Reinagle. Our show is produced by me, Brock Armstrong. You'll find links to everything Monica mentioned in today's episode in our show notes, as well as on our website at changeacademypodcast.com, where you can also send us an email or leave us a voicemail. If you're finding this podcast helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or even better, give our show a rating or review in your favorite podcast app. Or, best of all, share this episode with a friend or colleague you think would enjoy it. Now here's to the changes we choose.